We have a fantastic gentleman ready to give us an amazing word. A local Sipo, Sipo hero? I don't know what language that is. Sipo hero. It's maybe German, maybe European, something to do with the Eurovision contest. I don't know. But if you put your hands together for my hero, Stuart Hanna. Thank you. Be with you in a minute. I'm blinded by your grace. I'm blinded by your grace, by your grace. I'm blinded by your grace. I'm blinded by your Have the first slide up, please, Robert. Good to see everybody. 
Last month, when I spoke, um, we looked at brokenness. Are we okay with the slides? <laughs> Last month, when I spoke, we looked at brokenness, and I quoted Leonard Cohen. Now, is this going to work? No, it's gone dead on me. Okay, can we have the next slide, please? Leonard Cohen said, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Anyone remember that one? Yeah. And it's an even better known quote now. Thanks, Robert. It's an even better known quote now than it was before he passed away. It's been shared thousands of times, like I mentioned, on social media and tribute to him. And as I said before, it's a good quote. It's deep. It grasps with the human condition. And it seeks to explain and bring meaning to our existence. People connect with it. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. We understand being cracked. But it's worldly wisdom. It's an observation. It's, it's, it's self-centered. And so we flipped it. If you remember, we flipped it. And we said, what if it read like this? There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets out. And in many different ways, we're all broken people. We've either been broken or are being broken, or at some stage we'll face brokenness. And it's not the negative thing we discovered last time. It's not the negative thing that we take it for. Remember, we're in God's hands. So God in his perfect love will arrange the perfect storm for us. Last month when I was up here, I described the perfect storm that God had prepared for me. And when we're in a situation like that, we can choose from only two paths. When we go through situations which bring brokenness, we can either get bitter and turn away from God, or we can find humility and be drawn closer to God. And usually we try the first one, and we find that it doesn't work. And through His grace and a bit of pain, we get back onto the better way. Now, Jesus said this. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the broken. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's a blessing in brokenness. Hold on to that hope. There's always a blessing in being drawn closer to God. There's blessing in being used or chosen by God to be the means of blessing to others broken or cracked so that the light that God places within can get out. But I realized that by quoting Leonard Cohen, I was being far from contemporary, no matter how many times he gets shared on Facebook. So here's the other one, and we just heard his tune, Stormzy, Lord, I am broken, although I'm not worthy, you fixed me. I'm blinded by your grace. You came and saved me. Now, I heard the song on his new album a few weeks ago. Let me just say that again. I heard that song on his new album a few weeks ago. That's how cool I am. I listen to Stormzy. I'll tell you the truth. Up until a couple of weeks ago, I thought a grime artist 
genuinely. I thought a grime artist was a boy that took his finger and drew pictures in the back of a dirty transit van. <laughs> However, I'm learning. You know, every day is a school day. So anyway, I was listening to Stormzy's album, and I had, at the same time, I'd been struggling to settle on a, a topic for today. Then I had this light bulb moment, blinded by grace. Blinded by grace. That's my topic. That's my title for today. So over the next two and a half hours, I'll graduate. <laughs> Joking. I'll be half an hour tops. But it'll be a simple talk. One passage of scripture, one man's story. Thankfully, this time round, it's not my story. So much easier telling someone else's. And we'll get that in a moment. We'll get there in a moment. It's Acts chapter 9 for everyone that's taking notes. In fact, please do take notes. The headings will be on the screen behind me. Just jot them down and they'll help you as you go through the week and you go back and read over the scripture. The headings hopefully will help. Because what I find is when I'm sitting listening to somebody on the, on the stage is that I'll be listening to the person. I hope you're all listening. But God starts speaking to you as well. He starts bringing to mind things from your life that are applicable. Stuff that would only really matter to you. So for all I'm speaking... You're much better listening to God as well. So please take notes while you're sitting here. Jot things down and go home. Go over this stuff throughout the week. Allow God to speak to you in your own quiet time. Anyway, he knows better than I do what you need. Acts 9 will be today's scripture. But there's been another strand to my thinking on this topic this week. Jimmy made a comment last Sunday about our work being worship as well. So we also serve God through our work. And one of my clients, and this is quite easy for me sometimes, one of my clients or one of my projects in that job were literally building a church. So it's quite easy to draw a connection between my world of work and the church. It's quite easy in that one. We're building a church. It's quite straightforward. However, it's another one of my projects that's got me thinking this week, another one of my clients that, that brought something to my attention. Now, this client organization spends its time and its budget and all of its energy helping people with criminal convictions and people who are in danger of offending and reoffending. Now, I've become involved with a project to provide training and employment facilities which will be used in an effort to help people to turn their lives around, to gain skills, to grow in confidence, to lead purposeful and productive lives. And I learned an incredible statistic recently, I don't know if you're aware of it, some of you might be, but 38% of men, 38% of men in Scotland, that's more than one in three, live with a criminal conviction. It's one in ten for women. That's a lot of people. And it's not always easy to gain meaningful employment with a criminal record. It is therefore very difficult to simply just turn your life around and get on with it. In, it's very, very difficult. There's a lot of things that are stacked against people. And that's what this, this organization tries to help with. Now, in most cases, the judgment against the people will be sound. Most of us, most of us know when we've gone astray and will accept at some level that you know, we'll get what we deserve. However, and I want to be clear now, I'm not talking about just a percentage of people. I'm talking about all of us here. I'm talking about all of us. What really... I think, turns us around. It's when we, not when we get what we deserve, it's when we get what we don't deserve. And that's called grace. 
That's what transforms us. Now, I love the organization that I'm privileged to be working with on this project. In fact, my whole design team, the local authority, the Scottish government, everybody, the justice minister, they're all right behind it and right behind what they're trying to do. But I read another thing this week. I wish I could remember where I read it, but it sticks in my mind from about a week ago. And it was something like this. It says, all of our efforts are aimed at reformation of character and behavior. Jesus goes straight for transformation. Huge world of difference. See, that's the power of Christ in salvation. We are transformed. We become new creations. We're born again. Not only a fresh start, but a new identity and a new direction. We're made in his image, with his character. Reformation seeks to change a person from the outside to in. Transformation with Jesus starts from the inside to out. Completely different. So you become absolutely brand new. So let's go to chapter 9 of Acts. It's one man's story of transformation, of salvation. One man who was literally blinded by grace. Okay. Now there's a lot of words there. It's a big chapter. Take a note of it. That's why I'm saying read it later. I'll read it through. It will take us a few minutes, but it's worth reading the whole chapter to get the whole story. So if you sit back and relax, if you've got a Bible with you, get it out, have a look at it, read it with me. Read the words on the screen if you can read them from that distance. But I'm going to read through this scripture just now, okay? Saul's conversion. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's the church, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? He asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Take a wee break, break there just for a second. We'll come back to the rest of the scripture in a second. Just something just occurs to me though. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man. Where else in the Bible do we hear or have recorded street names? Can anyone think of it? I can't think of it. I, I mean, we could do a check, I suppose, but I don't think there's anywhere else in the Bible where we mention street names. And I think, well, that, that's not the most spiritual thing I've ever heard, so... Well, if it's in the Bible, it must be there for a reason. I remember Michael up here saying the same thing a few weeks back. If it's in there, it must be there for a reason. Straight street. And then it occurs to me, Saul, Paul, 
is a very well-educated Pharisee. He knows the Bible, so therefore, he knows that the command, trust not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. That's where he sent them. He sent them a straight street to straighten them out, to make his path straight, to change his ways, to change his direction. To not lean on his own understanding, to not follow his own desires, his own will, but to learn to follow the voice of Jesus. That's where he sent them. Anyway, we'll continue. We detour there. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. See, Saul was a baddie. He was out for getting the Christians. He was for destroying the church. And understandably, Ananias is a little bit reluctant to go and see this guy. But he he does. The Lord said, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placed his hands on Saul... Have we changed the thing yet? Probably. Hold on. There we go. More words. Don't worry. I'm reading it. Ananias went to the house. Placed his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you and on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All who heard him were astonished. Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Jerusalem by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. I think we'll just leave it there. You can read the rest of the chapter in your own time. It's a big chunk of scripture though, a big chunk of scripture there. So let's take it into little bite-sized chunks. I'm going to pull out five points, five changes which mark the salvation that happened for Saul and show the transformation that happened in Saul's life. These are five checks that we can apply to our own lives and they'll show that genuine salvation and transformation has taken place. Now, remember, Saul's behavior before conversion was destructive. It starts off with, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters, so if he found anyone, he could imprison them. Saul was an Orthodox Jew. He was a Pharisee. That meant he was very learned and very advanced in that religion. He genuinely thought of himself, genuinely, as a defender of Israel, and he wasn't merely content to root out Christians in Jerusalem. He sought the authority to go into Damascus to take care of those Christians as well. So Saul was there when Stephen was stoned to death. Saul was a guy with blood on his hands. Saul was definitely enthusiastic about his job. In fact, you can say he was sincere in his efforts. That's why he was traveling to Damascus, a bit of a journey. It's a great example that you can be very sincere in what you're doing and still very, very wrong. 
And we can all fall into that trap. It's a bit like, um, you know, it's not about how much faith you have in life, but it's about who your faith is in is the issue for us sometimes. It's that same thing. It's not about how much, it's about who. And it's the same with Saul. He was full, he was zealous, but he was in the wrong direction, heading down the wrong path, looking to destroy. And also quite proud, full of his own importance. Now I can remember destructive living before Christ, BC. I can remember that. I can remember I had destructive relationships, I had destructive behaviors. It was destructive to myself, it was destructive to others round about me. So really I was not so different from Saul. I was on a road to destruction. So I quite like the scripture, I do like it, because here what we see is the arch enemy of the church, Saul, himself comes to faith in Christ. It's about a turnaround. I like, there's a wee quote that I read as well from John Calvin. It says this, it says, a wolf was turned first into a sheep and then into a shepherd. I mean, Saul was the guy that ended up leading in the church. So he's, a wolf turned into a sheep, turned into a shepherd. That is transformation. And that's what Jesus does when he comes into our life. He transforms us. That's something to get excited about, is it not? <laughs> I would say so. I know the direction I was heading in. Jesus comes into my life. He turns me around and he changes me from the inside out. A new person. That is exciting. That's what happened to Saul. It's happened to me. It's happened to people in this room. It's exciting stuff. Most people come to Christ, though, without all the drama associated with Saul's conversion, without the blinding lights on the road, without the, the audible voice and all that stuff. But there's, a certain, there's certain characteristics in Saul's story that any genuine salvation experience also shows us. And we can glean these things from the story. So I'll go through these quickly today, but I'd encourage you to go back through it and dig deep yourselves. So let's pick out five. The first one, okay, first one is he met with Jesus. That's the first thing. First thing, the starting point of every transformation. Saul met with Jesus. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to his ground and he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why'd you persecute me? Uh, John Hamby wrote a, a commentary about this and he said this. He said, sudden, there is a sudden blindness and an audible voice but there's also the psychological shock of having your entire belief system undone in an instant. Everything he stood for, everything he ever thought, everything that he thought he was, all just collapsed in a second, the second he met Jesus. That's pretty intense, right? That's pretty intense. In that second, Paul realized that everything he believed, every action he'd taken was wrong. He'd been living against God. Who are you, Lord, he says. It's like it's all spinning out of control for him now. I am Jesus, who you're persecuting. So Saul was confronted not only by Jesus, but by the realization that he spent his whole life in opposition to Jesus. And Jesus goes on to say in the last line of verse 5, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, a goad was a stick that they used to prod livestock to get it moving. But how often do we try to kick against the goads? How often do we try and kick against the promptings of our conscience, of our better judgment, of the Word of God? 
How often do we try and kick against it? But it's hard to do that. It's a struggle to do that. It's not the right direction. I believe that Saul knew deep down that things were far from right. Around his life there was utter carnage. He had to have known something was wrong. But up to this point, he hadn't been willing to repent. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, he hadn't been willing to turn his thinking around, acknowledge that he was in the wrong direction. He hadn't been willing to turn his life around. But eventually, he saw Jesus, and he surrendered to him. Now, our story, as I said, it might not be as dramatic as Saul's, but Jesus has to break through our almost compulsive independence and our self-centered way of living to bring us to a point of surrender for our salvation so we can be transformed. And the conversion of Saul shows us that Jesus is relentless in this pursuit. We're not saved because we sought out Christ, but because he sought out us. He doesn't give up on us. The Damascus Road experience clearly shows us that Jesus was behind the whole conf confrontation from beginning to end. Jesus was there. He had his hand on Paul, or Saul, he became Paul. So the second thing I want us to look at, the first thing was an encounter, a personal encounter. The second one is a radical personal change. The man who had his life all mapped out, the man who was top of his class, the guy who was on top of his game, the man who was in a position of power, the guy who had it all, the man who had it all sorted and was headed in one direction is now going in a completely different direction. Saul became Paul. A change of name, a change of purpose, and his life was dramatically changed. Paul went on to write about half of the New Testament, and Paul helps us to understand the principle that's true for everybody that is saved. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says this, he says, Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. There's a message of hope. It doesn't have to be as it's always been. It does turn around with Jesus. All things become new. Paul has given us more than a theological principle. He's speaking from his own personal experience when he says this. He's lived it. He's not just teaching it, he's lived it. This is how he's been. This is what's happened to him. And over and over in Paul's writing, he speaks of salvation in terms of radical change. He mentions it in Colossians as a change from life or death to life. He says, sorry, in Ephesians, in Colossians he says, from darkness to light. Elsewhere he puts it as taking off the old garment and putting on the new. It's a complete change is what he's talking about. But however you phrase it, a genuine salvation must include a deep and lasting personal change. Salvation is a transformation and not just a transition from one to the next, but a complete change, something new is born in you. And it is miraculous. It is dramatic. It's a reversal first of your beliefs and then of your behavior. Paul had a new allegiance. Paul had a new love. He had a, a new assignment. And his life was changed forever. The question today, I suppose, is, has your life, has my life seen that kind of a change? 
Can we think about our lives if, if we've given our lives to follow Christ? Can we think about our lives before and our lives now? And is it a big change? Is there a big difference? Is my attitude different? Is my hope different to the way I conduct myself? Is it different? Do the things I hope for, have they changed? Is the way I think, has that, is that any different? Or is it just the same thing in a, in a new guise? Am I still trying to wear the old coat and put another jacket on top of it? Remember Adrian, that was a favorite of his. But has there been a change? Has there been a change? That's what we've got to be thinking. That's what I've got to be thinking. Paul also says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Jesus says, arise, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And Hamby reckons that this is the point at which many Christians fail and remain unproductive. Because they don't ask, what do you want me to do? So I'll ask for instructions. He wanted instructions immediately upon his conversion. Right, it's different. What do I do next? What do I do now? Everything that's passed is rubbish. It doesn't make sense to me anymore. What do I do now? What do you want me to do now? Where do I go from here? He called him Lord. That means that he knows he has authority over him. That means he knows he's under authority. He wants to know what he's got to do. Not to win the transformation, but because he's been transformed. It's exciting. It's exciting stuff. So what do you want me to do? He looks for instructions. See, and some of us, I know that, I wonder myself sometimes, do we ever get around to asking that question of God, what do you want me to do? You've got me, you've changed me, you've blinded me, you've transformed me, you've made me new. What do you want me to do? There's a whole exciting chapter there waiting for us to step into, but do we step into it? Do we ask what we have to do next? I don't know. Or maybe we do, but then we stop asking, or we stop keep asking, God, what do you want me to do? It's a relationship after all. It's a relationship with Jesus. Keep saying, God, what do you want me, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What, what can I do now? How can I serve now? Who can I help now? What can I do? We're different. We have a different output. We have a different way of looking at the world. So anyway, it doesn't get dull. It doesn't get boring. You don't get into a rut because you're always asking, God, what do you want me to do? There's a whole life there to be lived. What am I going to do with it? So let's not get into a rut. Let's, let's, ask that ne- let's take that next step. Transformation is great. Let's do something with it. Let's be different. Let's be the salt and light in this world. Let's be the change. Let's do that. Come on. Somebody with me? Yes. Brilliant. The implication, I suppose, every, the first thing is every saved person must have a personal experience with Jesus. We must meet with Jesus. That's what changes us in the first place. That's what brings us up short. That's what makes us look at our lives and think, oh, that's the standard. You think you're doing well? I think I'm doing well. And then you meet with Jesus. And you think, all right, that's how you love people. All right, that's how you, that's how you obey God. All right, that's how you get involved in people's situations. All right, that's how, you know, we think we're doing well, but then you see what the standard actually is. The standard is Jesus. But the good news is that with the transformation that Jesus wants to do in our, in our lives, it's so that we are, I'm trying not to get in the light here, it's so that we are conformed into his image. He's going to do the work. We have to be willing to go where he sends us. We have to be willing to be changed where he wants us to change. We have to be willing to let go of the things that are holding us back, the addictions, the habits, the behaviors, the attitudes, all of that stuff. We have to be willing to let it go. He does the hard part. He makes us a new creation. We have to just surrender. And that's where life starts again, from that moment where we surrender. Now, I've gone way off script here, but I don't care. This is really, really exciting stuff. It's about having a new life. It's about a second chance. And I know I needed one when I met with Jesus, when I had that personal encounter. I needed a new start. I needed to 
reboot the whole system. I needed to delete all the previous files. It was gone. It didn't work. But Jesus, Jesus does. And he draws us close. He's drawn us into a relationship with him. He's the one who reconciles us to God. And that is our deepest longing as human beings. Is to know the God who created us. To know who we are and why we're here. That's our deepest longing. And only through Jesus do we find that way. So let's not miss this. A personal encounter with Jesus is vital. And then there's the next part. A radical personal change. I'm going to keep moving on. Okay. The next part though. And this is what makes it, this is what makes it all work. Is be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to need a drink. Everybody needs to be refreshed and I'm losing my voice. But to some extent, it's the living water of the Holy Spirit that transforms us, that gives us the energy, that gives us the refreshment, that gives us the direction that we need in life. So, verse 17, we'll move on. Verse 17, Ananias went to the house and entered it. He placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, it must have freaked Saul out to have this man come into his house, place his hands on him, and call him brother. Because without a doubt, Ananias knew who Saul was, knew what he'd done, and probably personally knew some of the men and women who'd been either imprisoned or killed under Saul's command. So this must have freaked Saul out, that this man would come into his house, lay his hands on him, and call him brother. A sign of friendship, of closeness, a bond. He's part of his family. But Ananias, whose name means God is gracious, extended forgiveness to Saul because they were part of the same body, because they were brothers now in Christ. Everything's been made new for Ananias as well. So with his hand still on Saul, he says, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So not only could he see where he was going now, he had the energy, the power of the Holy Spirit living within him to actually go ahead and do it. And immediately there fell like something like scales from his eyes and he received his sight at once. So the third point I'm making here is be filled with the Holy Spirit. The presence of the living God that comes to dwell in our hearts. How can we live a life pleasing to him and in his presence and power? How can we do that without the Holy Spirit? So that we can live with his righteousness, his peace, his joy, flooding our hearts, keeping us anchored, keeping us connected to the Father who made us. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll keep going quickly. Next one, number four. New identity. I've touched on this a little bit, but let's just look at it a bit more because there's, there's things that Saul's behavior now changes. One of the evidences of Saul's conversion was that he immediately identified with the church at Damascus, the church that he'd come to destroy, suddenly sought them out. He wanted to be their friends. A complete change in his, his thinking. Perhaps nowhere else is the radical change in Paul's life more apparent than in his attitude towards the church. Previously, Saul had sought them out. He wanted to persecute them, even kill them. But now he sought them out to worship and fellowship with them. He wanted them as friends. Now, Saul who was the opponent of Christianity, became the apostle of Christianity to the world. That's a new identity. Saul, who hated Christ, now preached Christ 
to the world. He traveled extensively preaching Christ. That's a new identity. The man who had come to destroy Christians now called them brothers. That's a new identity. When we are transformed by Christ, we have a new identity. We become new creations. Last one, the last of the five that I'm going to pick out today. Purpose. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? And he's come here for that purpose so that he might bring them as prisoners to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews they must have got fed up. They plotted to kill him. But he changed so much that he'd gone from being the one who was chasing the church to the one that the Jews now wanted dead because he had become almost super Christian. Transformation, absolute new identity and a new purpose. Now we know he didn't stay too long in Damascus. He then went on travels. He went into the desert in Arabia. He ended up back in Jerusalem where he continued to develop his work, his purpose. He had a new purpose. So I'd ask the question, what do you want me to do? And then he quickly set about doing it. And he did it wholeheartedly. And again, have you asked, have I asked that same question? Have you asked that same question? And what are we doing with it? What are we doing with the new life that Jesus died on a cross to give us? That Jesus went to such lengths to show us, to bring to our attention. In Saul's life, he arrested them on a road with lights and voices. But how how has he pursued you? How is he grabbing you? And what are we going to do with it? So there's lots of questions today. Hopefully, some answers. But I'd like us to take time to think this through this week, and I promise you'll be the better for it. If the band could come up now, that'd be great. I'm going to finish in a couple of minutes. I don't know if you've got anything special planned for the end. If you haven't, could we do that Thank You Jesus song? It seemed like it was quite appropriate when we were singing it earlier on. That'd be great. Thank you, Lindsay. Right, transformed by grace. The story of Saul's conversion should remind us never to write off anybody. Nobody is beyond the love of Jesus. It also shows that we should never write ourselves off. Who are we to write off the same us that Jesus wants to write in to his book of life? We shouldn't write off anybody. We shouldn't write off ourselves. The Bible is clear. Through Jesus, God can save anyone. And because he took our place and because he took our punishment on the cross for all that we've done wrong, he's wiped the slate clean when we put our trust in his saving work. It's a fresh start. So it's maybe not always as dramatic as Saul's experience, but I believe that there comes a time for all of us when we're stopped in our tracks, when we're forced to confront the reality that we have drifted far from the life that God had intended for us and the life that we truly need. And only by his grace can we return and be transformed. Now we can see from Saul that Stormzy got it. He got it right. Well, at least at first he got it right. The light of Jesus on the road blinded Saul, stopped him in his tracks, 
didn't leave him there though. That's the good news. He started off blinded by grace, but he very quickly was transformed by grace. Jesus goes looking for us. He came to seek and save who? Who did Jesus come to seek and save? The lost. People like Saul, people like me, people like you. We don't find Jesus. He finds us. He looks for us. We are the lost ones, not him. We are the ones that are lost. We are the ones that are guilty of failures. We are the ones that are guilty of sins. We are the ones that try to seek our way and not God's way. We are the ones that are living for ourselves, hurting others, and all done with our backs turned to God. And we don't immediately seek out our righteous Savior and surrender to Him. But in His amazing love, grace, and His mercy, Jesus will reach out to us even when we are lost and call us to salvation. And that's what we see in the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. We see just what happens when we're blinded and transformed by grace. Transformation is what Jesus is about as we're conformed into the likeness of Christ. We're reconciled with the God who made us, our Father. Imagine your life completely transformed by grace. The undiluted, undeserved favor of God. And he's calling to you again. Think about that for a moment. Let it sink in. A new you. Now look around you today. Everyone in this room, the whole room, all the people here transformed by grace. New creations with new purpose. Abundant in joy and love and freedom and peace. And it starts off with the forgiveness of sins. Now look beyond these walls. And if we're all, imagine our town, our nation, the world transformed and reconciled with God. Imagine that. Imagine what that would feel like to be in a society like that. What would that look like? Transformed by grace. If we're all honest with ourselves, we need to allow Jesus to shine that light deep within our hearts. And we know we don't deserve it, but we all need it. We all need to be transformed by his grace. Okay, that's me for today. But if you're here today and you've never made the decision to surrender to Jesus before, you've carried your own load for far too long and you want to experience the salvation and begin the transformation that I've talked about today please come speak to me at the end or speak to Alan or Aaron and we'll talk further and help you in your decision Amen God bless you, thanks for listening